Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Jen. And before we get started in this week, as you guys know from last week's episode, Eli is in the ICU. He is still in the ICU. Um, as of this morning, which is August 21st, he his stats are good. His oxygen levels are good. They are slowly weaning him off of the ventilator. Um, they do have him on dialysis. They don't know if his kidneys will work on their own until the dialysis is done. Um, he's got a lot of fluid on his body due to his kidneys not working for the past two weeks. Um, their goal is to get eight ounce or eight uh, flu- eight liters of liquid off of his body. They've so far pulled off two. Um, and then their goal is to, by the Wednesday of this week, to completely remove the ventilator uh, and see how he does on his own. He is not paralyzed anymore, but he's still in a deep sleep due to sedation. But they have been slowly weaning him off the sedation because apparently the sedation is a highly addictive medication, and so they have to slowly wean patients off of it so that they don't go through withdrawal. So he was awake for a little bit. Yeah, he's opened his eye a couple of times. <coughs> and wiggled his foot when yeah. asked about asked him to. So, uh, In fact, yesterday he had opened his eye but wouldn't close it. So they put some special goggles on him so that his eye didn't dry out. Because um, the last thing he needs is to lose his good eye. Good eye. <laughs> um but keep him in your prayers. Send all the green mushroom healing energy, magical healing energy. Um, all of that is appreciated. Not only to Eli, but to our family, especially our mom, who has been up at the hospital day and night for the last 13 days. Yeah. Um, she's getting tired. <laughs> and um, so just keep him in your thoughts and prayers. He is doing better. He's he's not out of the woods yet, but we're getting him there. And once he's out of the woods, he does have a long road of recovery ahead of him. So keep pushing, Eli. We love you. So for this, well, before we also, before we get started, let's go ahead and play a promo for the Green Mushroom Podcast Network podcast. Um, this week, we're going to play a trailer for Ad Hoc History. Epic History. Like, the Greeks are, like, on the beach. They're, like, doing burpees or something. <laughs> the Persians sail up. And they've got, like, they've got, like, little spears and pomegranates and stuff. And they're like, hey, want to be part of our cool empire? In-depth commentary. 
cutting edge expert drunken analysis. <laughs> two people that you don't know anything about. It's ad hoc history with Asher and Luxa, siblings extraordinaire. Hey, just real quick, like if you were emperor, would you choose me as second emperor? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Learning. It's not pretty. It's not nice. And if you want to talk about justification for war and all these things, but when you get to how the sausage is actually made, this is it. It's ad hoc history. It's not the history podcast you wanted. It's the history podcast you deserve. That podcast is so entertaining and so informative. It's one of those things that if I had a history teacher like Asher, I might have actually like paid attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Instead of just that. I mean, that's why I quit taking college or like college history classes, is because my teachers were just so monotoned, and it's just oh, like yeah. it wasn't fun. And like I love history, and I was getting so bored. I mean, my history teacher in college was, uh, yeah. I mean, your typical history teacher just droned on and, and Julius on, Caesar on. then went on. To rule. I'm like, fuck, dude. Like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the one I had in college, uh, she just told uh, personal stories about herself for the whole time. That was my intro, we, or that was my paranormal psych teacher. She was just like that. Um, I, uh, U.S. history, pre Civil War. That's what we would do to him, was we'd get him on tangents. <laughs> so he wouldn't sign his homework because he wouldn't finish everything. And so every every Tuesday and Thursday, we can kind of like split like the class, like one side of the class would like start talking to him about something and get his mind off of finishing. And then like the next day, the other side of the class would do it. And so that way he never like it never it never dawned on him that we were doing it on purpose. Cause it was never the same person doing it or anything like that. Like we actually like half the class met up for lunch one day. We're like, okay, how can we do this for the rest of the semester? <laughs> And it worked pretty well. well like but. with my abnormal psych professor, you know, at the beginning of the semester, she hands out the syllabus. And, you know, like it's personality disorders was like the first part of it. And then it was like psychosis and like it was like broken down. We never got person fast personality disorders. <laughs> like, yeah, we talked a little bit about like schizophrenia, but that was because somebody had brought it up when we were talking about bipolar disorder. And then the teacher went off on a long tangent about her dissertation teacher, the teacher that was helping her with her dissertation, came became schizophrenic while she was writing her dissertation. <laughs> As I say, my psych teacher, we used to do kind of the same thing, but he never had assignments or anything. The only grades in the class were attendance, your midterm, and your final. Yeah. And so the teacher would say, he'd be like, in the beginning of school year, was like, just so you guys know, I go off on tangents. And if I do, stop me, and we can you know, continue on it. He's like, I'm not going to give you assignments or anything, but you're not going to get all the information you need for the midterm. And so at first, we're like, a few days, we would just stop and be like, oh, no, you know, let's get back to the... He's like, oh, yeah, so we'd get back into it. And by about, I'd say like halfway through the first <laughs> term, he's just, we like, just gave up on it. <laughs> and we all just kind of had study sessions <laughs> with the book. So it was like... We're never going to get anywhere. <laughs> but that class was so easy. Like I actually enjoyed the way he talked about it because all his side rants were about whatever topic we were in. So it kind of gave us a little bit of a like 
real world yeah. impact instead of him just reading from and a that's book. And how, that's how, I mean, I learned a lot in my abnormal sight class because every tangent she would get on would be about some <laughs> patient she treated that had this personality way, disorder. Speaking of tangents, you know, we're on one. We are, aren't we? <laughs> huh. <laughs> Interesting. I don't so, know anybody else who goes on tangents. <laughs> so tangents should, are fun, right? Yeah. So what is today's episode, Amy? Uh, I forgot. Um, yeah, do we have a topic? Oh, yeah. This is Boo Y'all! So who wants to go first? I don't know, but I do have some tangent to go off on real oh, fast. Oh, okay. Tangent number two. Because of the boo y'all, it reminded me. I'm listening to John Keel's uh, Eighth Tower right now, currently. Oh, yeah. And he says the word, word phenomena do, 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 do. every other sentence. And oh, I sit oh, there yeah. and I listen to it and I'm constantly going, do, 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 do. Yeah. That's what I was doing listening to uh, Damien Eccles' High Magic. <laughs> Something phenomenal. Do, 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 do. I, I'm just like, by the time like one page is done, I'm just like, and hopefully later this week we'll have a bonus episode out. Bonus. About a project I've been workshopping yay all right let's go ahead and get into the stories who wants to start i'll go first i got a couple short ones and then one long one and i'll save the long one for last okay um now i will say the first couple aren't really scary they're just uh interesting this one's called uncle tommy's visit now remember i don't want you talking to him unless i'm around you here Yes, Dad. I'm serious. Now tuck in your shirt. He's here. The front door swung open, and there stood Uncle Tommy, drenched in sweat from a day's work in the summer heat. It's a scorcher out there, ain't it? He said, putting his bag on the floor and untying his boots. I appreciate you letting me crash for the night. Just so long as you're gone in the morning, my dad replied coldly. Of course. Now, Uncle Tommy said, turning to me, lowering himself to a knee. Where's my hug at? It's been a while since I've seen you last. Don't hug the uncle. <laughs> I took a couple steps towards him, a couple steps toward him, and leaned in for a hug. His tight embrace made me uncomfortable, and I let out a light whimper. Oh. Don't you know it's a hundred degrees out there? He asked, tugging on my long sleeves. I haven't been outside today. I recited to him. Don't you have some chores to finish up? Dad interjected. I knew that was my cue to leave, so I shuffled off to my room. Later that night, I lay in bed, tossing and turning, unable to be comfortable, when I, when I heard the thud of footsteps in the hallway outside my bedroom. After several long seconds of silence, the door opened quietly. The... <laughs> Quietly. <laughs> <laughs> the dark silhouette of a man entered the room, and the door closed again. For several more seconds, there was nothing but unrelenting silence. I might have thought I dreamt it all if it weren't for the sound of hushed breath being carefully released. I could feel him getting near. The warmth of another person in the room was unfamiliar at this hour. 
I was not prepared for this. I prayed he would go away, to even come back in the morning if he must. He reached down and touched me. He rolled me onto my stomach and lifted up my shirt. From the corner of my eye, I could see two things. The faint beam of a pocket flashlight and Uncle Tommy's eyes studying my bare skin. His rough fingers ran up and down my back. Suddenly, he got up and walked to the bedroom door and left. I tried again to fall asleep, eventually succeeding. He was gone by the time I awoke. Around noon, the phone rang when my father was out. Hello? I answered. Hey, buddy. Uncle Tommy? Yeah, is your dad around? No, sir. He went to the store. Good, he said, his voice a bit shaky. Oh, shit. He was silent for a moment. I'm calling about last night. I don't know if you were awake or not. I was. Well, then I'll just get right to it. I've got a question for you. I need you to be honest with me. Can you do that? Yes, sir. How'd you get all them bruises? Ooh, that took a turn. Booyah. Booyah. This one is titled. Every story I've read about them is from someone who already knew about them. Last night was like any other night. I was switching between listening to music and watching YouTube videos with one headphone in so I can hear my infant daughter if she cries. That way, my wife can get a full night's sleep. She works at 4 a.m. at the hospital every day. When I decide to go lay down in the spare bed in the baby's room, Just as I dozed off, I heard a thumping coming from the front porch. Startled at first, I opened my eyes wide and scanned the room, realizing it was most likely my cat scratching himself on the front porch. I dozed back off. Then again, the thumping. Damn, cat! I got out of bed to run him off the porch, only to see he wasn't there anymore. Now that I was up again... I wasn't the least bit tired. I figured I'll get some tea and check Facebook while I'm up. Maybe finish the web series I was watching on YouTube. A few minutes into the video, I felt the sudden urge to look up at the kitchen window. There they were. The tops of two short, statured people's heads cresting the stairs just above my window frame. Oompa, oompa, doopity. The people were just short enough to not see in the window, but I could see out. I heard no footsteps on my porch as my stomach turned. But the knock, the knock was a steady, hollow thump. The very same thump I had just blamed on my cat. Deciding it was best not to answer, I shut my laptop and crept by the back door to the baby's room. I assumed it was some of the people from the low-income housing across the road from me that were high or hiding from the cops or maybe looking for my cousin who stays with me often and has many friends over there. The last thing I needed was to try to explain to two stoners that I was trying to sleep even though it was 2 a.m. It wasn't until I got to my daughter's room that the creepiness set in. The thump had moved from the kitchen to the bedroom windows. Both windows, a room apart, thumping in perfect time. These stoners were going to wake up my daughter if I didn't run them off now. 
Pissed off, I went out to the kitchen, unlocked and opened the door, ready to turn around to the side of the house and kick some little idiot's ass. It happened then. Standing there, looking up at me, were two 10- or 11-year-old boys. The feeling of dread and the smell of mold almost made me vomit. The smaller of the two then spoke. May we use your telegraph? Huh? I just stared blankly at these boys, horrified of what I then realized. Their eyes were pitch black. Boom, boom, boom. He asked again to use my telegraph. There wasn't a sound to be heard, no crickets chirping, no dogs barking, no cars driving by, nothing. I tried to play it cool and ignore the fact that he didn't say telephone or phone or cell, anything that would have made any goddamn sense in this situation, and calmly replied, I don't have service at my house, sorry. The expressions on their faces turned to rage as I finished my sentence. Swiftly, I shut the door and locked it as quickly as I could, then stumbled back to protect my daughter. I picked her up from her crib and held her close. The fact that she didn't wake up freaked me out the most, but I managed to gather my senses enough to make sure she was still breathing and warm. Everything seemed okay with her. The thumping on the windows was back. I dropped to the floor as close to the wall as I could and held my little girl in my arms and wept like a child. I felt helpless and afraid. I lied there for what felt like hours and hours crying and shaking until I heard it. My wife's alarm clock. The thumping stopped the instant the alarm went off and I crept into the master bedroom with the baby. What's wrong with you? My wife asked. I just had a bad dream, is all I could mutter out. Okay, well give me the baby so I can feed her before work. I handed my wife the baby and she fed her like any normal day. I turned on every light in the house and made coffee for her. For some reason, just having her awake calmed my nerves enough to pretend like nothing happened. I walked her out to the car nervously with the baby in my arms. I asked her not to leave until I walked back in the house. She was put off by the request, but did so to humor me. Once I was safely in the house, I locked the door again. And in the house, I sat horrified until she got home. I insisted we go to the next town over and stay the weekend at my brother's house. And here I sit horrified while she sleeps in the guest room of my daughter, wondering why they stopped when the alarm went off. I think I know the answer. I was aware of black-eyed kids. She wasn't. Every story I've read about them is from someone who already knew about them. Maybe. Just maybe. Knowledge of them existing is the only reason they visit. I'm afraid. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Boo, Ooh, I like that you one. You know the scariest part of that story, at least in my eyes, was the fact that he was up all night with the baby sleeping, so you know that baby is going to be wide awake all day and he's going to be dog tired. <laughs> like, that to me was the scariest part because yeah. I have experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> On to you, Amy. On to me. Mine are all relatively short. So, In high school, my friends and I were messing around with a Ouija board one night. We had done it before. Nothing remarkable ever happened. We usually did it to try to scare each other or, or our girlfriends. We all thought it was a joke. That night, there was no one else home except for the seven of us. We were all together around the board. One of the girls wanted to try it. She had never done it before. 
This time it was different. The board misspelled some words the same way every time. It gave answers that seemed historically accurate to our town. Things we neither knew nor cared about. Long story short, the quote-unquote spirit claimed it was a 10-year-old boy who had died on the property in the 1800s and was buried there, too, in an unmarked grave. My friend's house was on a farm in the edge of town. We were a little freaked out because the board had never been so detailed and consistent. However, we were still skeptical, and we all were assuming one of us was trying to scare the rest. Finally, my friend asked the spirit to do something to prove he was there with us. It... <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. It went to yes, then spelled out K-N-O-C-K. Then the planchette stopped moving. We were all just we all just stared at it silently. Then there was a rap 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 on the window next to the next to us. The lights were on outside and there was absolutely no one out there. We never touched that fucking board again. Booyah. All right. On to my next one. Kind of along the same lines as the first one I read where it's just, you know, M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Kind of twists. This one's called, I'm calling to inform you. About your car's extended warranty? <laughs> oh, God. Hello? Hi, is this uh, Karen Maitland speaking? Hey, I'm really sorry for calling so late. I just, um, I know your daughter. Is Annie, Anna okay? Oh, um, no, uh, your other. I go to community college with Sarah. Oh, okay, wow. Whereabouts are you? Chicago? Chicago? Huh. From your re reaction, I'm guessing Sarah's always been a bit of a lone wolf character. Huh. Yeah, you could say that. But, I mean, it's great to hear she has friends over there. Can I ask what, you're, what this is about? Well, I'm actually calling to ask if you've been in touch with Sarah recently. Um, no. No, not really. She sort of broke off contact a while ago. I was told her if she wanted to, I haven't changed my phone number just in case, but uh, I think she's probably changed hers by now. I'm sorry. That uh, that does sound like her. Well, um, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but Sarah's been reported missing. What? What are you missing? For how long? Um, almost three days. Three days? Okay, um, okay, are... I mean, I mean, what's happening? Are people looking for her? Well, that's the thing. I uh, don't think they really are. I mean, you know, she likes to keep to herself, so she didn't really have any close friends, and she was always sort of prone to absences. I mean, it's not like no one noticed. I told the police, but they've hardly looked into it. But that's, she's always a little antisocial. That doesn't mean they don't have to. Listen, can you tell me the name of your campus? I'll fly overnight tonight. I can be there tomorrow morning. Yeah, sure, it's uh, Westgate Campus. I was just calling to let you know, but honestly, it's, uh, it's really great to hear someone actually take this seriously. Of course. Thank you for telling me. I, I, I really appreciate it. 
No, honestly, it's me who should be thanking you. I've uh, I've done this a few times before, but it isn't fun if no one cares. <laughs> oh, y'all. This one is called Midnight Caller. Who was phone? It almost felt like a dream. I woke up to my dog Lucy barking. She was upright on the bed where my husband and I were sleeping with our 22-month-old daughter, staring at our door like an unknown stranger was out there rummaging around. (laughs) I thought she was just freaking out over a house noise. We'd only had her for three months, and she was still a puppy. Could have been anything. Our roommate, a creak from the house settling, the awnings moving outside in the breeze. I wasn't too concerned initially. I decided the best bet would be to open the door and show her nothing was there. Sounds a bit silly, but it's what we do with our daughter when she gets scared, and I figured it should work with a puppy, too. I opened the door, and she raced to the front door. She stood there, snarling at the door. It was an angry, violent growl. One I have never heard her make before. I looked groggily at her and opened the baby gate, blocking the doorway, planning to open the door and show her everything was okay. The second my hand reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went wild. She started barking and jumped toward me, and when I touched the metal, she suddenly changed her temper. She whimpered, almost like she was afraid and backing down. As her mannerism changed, so did mine. I wasn't calm anymore. My heart was racing and sinking at the same time. I had been flooded with a mixture of fear and dread. I looked through the peephole. I can't explain why I looked, but I did. Outside were two kids. One was just a smidgen shorter than me and didn't look much younger. I'm 22 and she looked to be 16 or 17. She was slender and pale. Her hair was a light shade of honey blonde and she wore it long, about mid-back, with long, thin, blunt bangs in the front that covered most of her eyes. She wore jeans, a light wash that's popular right now, and a thin-looking olive-colored pull-over-style hoodie. She held the hand of a small girl who looked to be around three or four, in the same style jeans and in a button-down ivory cardigan. The smaller one looked at the floor shyly, but had the same shade of hair tied back in a ponytail. She held a stuffed toy under a free arm, and it was identical to one my daughter has, as was their style of dress. Had it not been for the feeling of overwhelming dread and fear, I probably would have asked these children in and given them some tea or hot chocolate to get them out of the bitter cold. Something about them seemed off. At this point, I hadn't made any noise. I hadn't shushed the dog or grumbled. Nothing. I hadn't turned on any lights. These kids had no indicators. I was at the door. The older one spoke. She had a voice that was mature, confident, strong, and accentless. She held her head tilted downward, and I couldn't see her eyes. She said, We have to use your phone. I stood frozen in fear. How did she know I was there? She raised her head to face me directly, and that was when I saw her eyes. There was a reason I couldn't see them through her bangs before. They were black, or midnight blue, or a dark, dark purple. 
They were otherworldly. She said, Our mother is worried. As someone who has always been interested in creepy stories, I knew what she was the second she looked at me through the door. I have never been one to believe in these things as a staunch atheist and skeptic when it comes to the paranormal. I had written off many a ghost story from friends and family members eager to tell their tale. I didn't believe it. Still, I couldn't rationalize my way out of this. I was standing with nothing but a thin wooden door between me and a black-eyed kid. There was no questioning what was right in front of me. I did not answer her. Slowly and silently, I backed away from the door, Lucy still cowering at my ankles. She kept talking. Just let us in to use your phone. I took another step back, and with that step, the tone changed. At first, she seemed polite. Then I took that second step back. She became commanding, almost hostile. We're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have broken in. I'll ask again. May we come in and use your phone? Lucy snarled at the door, and I inched backwards, though something inside me seemed to be slowly pulling me back toward the door. It wasn't a physical pulling so much as a subconscious need to go back and let them in. I got to my room, covered up the window, locked the door, and sat there in the dim light of the nightlight. I heard her call me back to the door once more, and then quiet. I didn't go back to sleep that night, and I haven't slept right since. I know from reading about them. They can't just come in without permission. I know they haven't hurt anyone. I still fear I'll be the exception. When I told my husband, he said it was just a dream. He keeps telling me to forget it, but this lingering feeling of sadness... This dread when the house is silent at night. This fear of a knock at the door. This tells me otherwise. Booyah. I'm seeing a pattern with your stories. Yeah. It's almost (laughs) like I pulled them from the same place. (laughs) (laughs) Again, scariest part of that story is knowing she has a 21-month-old and she's not sleeping. Or he. <laughs> or, yeah. Well, he's her husband, I guess. Or he. It's 2021, Amy. Yeah, I'm sorry. My bad. When I was in high school, I had a lot of these experiences. Or at the house my dad lived in at the time, it was really old, built in the early 1800s. There was plenty of times that I'd be sitting in the living room and distinctly hear the cabinets opening and closing in the kitchen. It was just me and my dad that lived there in the house. And you could clearly see the bedroom door was shut and he was asleep, but st- still hear it. Normally, my dad worked 7 to 3, but occasionally he had to work p.m. or overnight shifts. One night, he was working until 11. I was 17 at the time. Around 8 or so, I was sitting in my room playing Borderlands, and I think I hear footsteps coming from the living room, which is adjacent to my bedroom. And assume my dad is home early. Go back to playing Borderlands. I keep hearing steps, so I pause the game and listen. The footsteps just slowly pace back and forth between the living room and the kitchen. In a steady rhythm, I lay back in bed, scared shitless, and I actually counted the steps. It took 15 paces to the living room and back 15 paces to the kitchen. 
Needless to say, I did not fucking sleep that night. Had another situation at my mom's house about two years prior to this. Out of nowhere, my alarm clock would go off at midnight every night. I assumed it was busted, so I got rid of it. Fast forward two years, my mom gets another brand new alarm clock for my room. Also, I was 17. Suddenly, the alarm goes off after midnight. I thought nothing of it, turned it off, happened again the next night. Then my sister pointed out that the old one had done the same thing. So I checked and made sure that no alarms were set. Double checked at 11.56. Sure enough, four minutes later, my alarm goes off. Freaked me out. I threw it out. The next day at night, I was at my dad's. To ha- er, the next night was my dad's night to have me. I had a buddy of mine over with my dad, er, over, and my dad was working that night. He left for work around 2 a.m., and my friend had brought over an iPad dock to listen to music on. Didn't have the clock set or anything. My friend knew nothing of the last couple of nights, so I knew he wasn't fucking around with me. So about two minutes after my dad leaves, we hear the alarm clock coming from my room. I went in, and you know how if you just plug in a clock without setting the numbers, it just blinks on and off? Well, it was doing that. As soon as I picked it up, the clock set itself to 12 o'clock and then just turned on by itself. So yeah, fucking paranormal shit. I'm not religious, but I am 100% convinced that that happened. Sounds like uh, something we would have dealt with growing up. Sound, I, I was reading that. I was like, this sounds exactly like the shit we went, up, went mm-hmm. through. Dad's alarm clock would always go off at random ass times. This next one is called Until My Time to Go. While visiting my father's grave just after dusk, I heard what sound, sounded like a child laughing and playing somewhere behind me. I stood up to better place where the sound was coming from, and I turned and looked across the way to the old section of the cemetery on the other side of the creek that ran through the graveyard. There, I saw a small figure move quickly from, from view amongst the weathered headstones. The sound of laughter echoed off the stones, then faded with the light of the day as the darkness of night crept from the woods off in the distance. I was compelled to find the child and tell them to go home before it got much darker. I crossed the old iron bridge leading from the newer section of the graveyard into the older and less visited area. The monuments there were various stages of decline, windswept and withering. The words chiseled upon the stone often worn down and undecipherable to most, save only for those willing to pause long enough to gleam their heartfelt remembrances inscribed upon them by those whom have long since joined them in the hereafter. I paused between two towering limestone obelisks to read one such inscription when I heard a diminutive voice speak to me from behind the pillars. Will you read to me? (laughs) It said with a childish giggle that faded off with an echo. I nearly fell over as I lost my balance when I spun about searching to find the source of the voice. A cold wind suddenly ripped around the corner of the obelisk nearest to me. I stepped forward, rounded the square base, and momentarily stared downward, carefully trying not to trip in the failing light. As my line of sight lifted, I suddenly froze in fear. As my eyes locked on the form before me, I gazed into the eyes that gazed unflinchingly back into mine. I nearly spoke out nervously, nearly spoke out to nervously greet them, 
but I quickly realized I was alone. I stood at the gravestone of a small boy whom set upon a chiseled marble stair step of books. He looked inquisitively at me as he pointed at the page of an open marble book sitting in his lap. In his other hand, he held a small sprig of flower. I moved to the boy's side and looked down at what was he was pointing at, at on the page. Oh, child, the words have gone, I said as I tried to read the worn away letters. I laid my hand upon his cold stone shoulder, then somberly pulled away. I turned and walked toward the bridge. Stopping, I peered back at the lonely stone. The boy looked at me with an unceasing gaze. Reluctantly, I crossed the bridge and heard no more laughter. I walked swiftly to my car as near darkness now settled in. Fumbling with my keys, I clumsily dropped them by the door. As I bent to retrieve them, I saw laying on the ground a colorful, a colorful vibrant, blooming sprig of flowers. I gently picked them up and breathed them in. A flood of sweet childhood memories suddenly washed over me. I saw a flurry of brief flashes of my father and me through the years. All the wonderful moments that we had shared seemed to condense and play themselves out beneath my closed eyes in a quick succession of thoughts. I opened my eyes as I opened my car door. I staggered forward and slumped into the seat behind the wheel as tears of both sorrow and joy began to sweep stream down my face. I started the car, turned the wheel, and pulled away. As my headlights cut through the darkness, I tried to catch one last glimpse of the boy, but was an unable to spot him in the sea of headstones. I drove out the gate and down the road beneath the star-filling night sky. The next day, I returned with books in hand and made my way to the boy. I sat at his side and read aloud, surrounded by the unending accompaniment of cheerful bird songs. Many a warm sunny day has passed beneath the swaying shady branches of an aging elm tree. The hours slowly pass as I turn page my turn the pages of the timeless masters. I've told so many tale to the boy with the book, the adventures of Tom, Finn and Jim, and the rickety raft, the great poems of Miss Dickinson and Mr. Frost, and the long do- journey of Dorothy and Toto. Book after book, story after story, tale after tale, on and on until I grow tired from exertion. Often the day gets away from us and I am forced leaving or forced to leave in the failing light. I weave amongst the headstones in the stretching shadows, hesitantly making my way back to my car, but I always return, and every time I bring something new for us to explore. Now, when I arrive, I seek my father but always find the boy. Like the flower in your hand, your precious life only just began to unfold. And the sadness I feel in my heart is for your story that I do not know. A boy in a book with a date and a name inconspicuously inscribed below, your untimely loss filled the ones you love with unbearable sorrow. The pages of life have turned as the rivers of time unceasingly flow. I sincerely promise you this. I will read to you until my time to go. Booyah. Booyah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went away with the scary one and just kind of a... I don't know. It kind of feels like something I would do. Yeah. A ghost wouldn't want me to read to him out loud. I uh, can't read for shit out loud. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you did pretty good so far. I don't know. The listeners are only hearing the edited version. <laughs> <laughs> this one is called Don't Go Out at Night and Always Beware of the Devils. Beware of the devils. Reading the stories, I have always been a skeptic. Stories, alleged first-hand experiences, hauntings, possessions. They were all well and good for a quick for a quick chill, a cheap thrill. Something I read to get my heart rate up. Getting scared can be fun sometimes, as long as you don't overdo it. Just a little something silly to get worked up about. In my lurking in books and on numerous sites on the internet, credible or not, I have come across many account of... Ghosts, demons, the Jersey Devil, you name it. Recently, I have found my way into the stories about the black-eyed kids. No, these children didn't get a black eye from a fight. I don't believe there would be a soul out there with the backbone to try and attack these kids. Dun, dun, dun. No, black-eyed kids are kids. If that was not straightforward enough, usually, from all the accounts I have read in their teenage years. If they even physically age at all. Their eyes are pitch black, no pupils, no corneas, no white showing at all. Pitch black. They have olive skin and wear run-of-the-mill clothing as in hoodies. However, in my non-physical sense, they always bring with them an overwhelming sense of fear and dread. They are intriguing, and when approached by them, again, from all the accounts I've come across, it's like you were in a slight hypnosis. Though you quickly snap out of it when your instincts take over, usually as you meet their eyes. Then there are the theories. The theories about what these black-eyed kids may be. These theories range from lost souls to alien-human hybrids and even to vampires. Though the latter may be an extreme stretch to link the black-eyed kid to the current... Social infatuation of vampires found commonly in young persons. In light of all this, I have always been a very fact-based person. If its existence was not apparent, or the existence of the thing in question was not testable and verifiable to me, it did not exist. However, one night, one long terrifying night, which still haunts me to this day, showed me proof required to open my eyes and mind. My story begins when I left my mum's house. I had gone over to visit because my father, her husband of 63 years, recently passed away, and mom wasn't taking it uh, too well. I knew she needed support from her loved ones, and I was more than willing to go visit and keep her company, but it was getting late. My mom lives in the suburbs, tidy lawns, plenty of neighbors, paved roads, and even though it was near 11 p.m. when I left, the streets were extremely lit by the streetlights who always had your safety and ease of mind at heart. These lights only lit the road enough and glancing across the street, the houses were cast in an eerie shadow. Even a rather safe, charming little neighborhood can seem spooky and uninviting when cast in shadow, I admit, I was terribly chilled. Sliding my car, sliding into my car, I revved the engine and waved to my mother who was standing in the doorway, wrapped comfortably in a warm shawl. She waved back, her old and fragile arm shaking. I saw her mouth, be careful, 
and I smiled, backing out of the driveway. I turned out of the neighborhood, deciding to take the back way, the shorter way home tonight. In hindsight, that might not have been a good idea. I live a significant ways away out in the middle of the country in the old farmhouse I grew up in, which my father had left in my name when he and my mom had moved out into a place smaller and more easy to care for and affordable. Oh, and social. He, my father, had always told me growing up, don't go out at night and always beware the devils. He was a strong believer in anything and everything paranormal. Very superstitious man. And I always had to resist the urge to laugh at his words. But I knew he meant, well... Driving down the dark country roads, there were no street lights, and the half-assed paved road was cracked and filled with potholes. The fields on either side of the road were empty, just blank stretches of overgrown grass and untended shrubbery. The dark outline of the trees of the woods could be seen looming all the way across the fields on the shadowy horizon. One might have even seen a deer or two in a while in those fields, but not tonight. The moon offered little light, as the sky rolled with dark, threatening clouds ready to burst with rain or a storm at any moment. Sure enough, a few minutes later, the low grumble of thunder sounded, heavy and long. However, no rain fell just yet, much to my pleasure. I hate driving at night. And in the rain. And putting those two together would end badly. I just knew it. Accompanied only by the occasional roll of thunder, I started to feel a bit anxious. I can't explain it. I just felt shaken up. Probably because it was night and it could start raining. Or maybe I had been reading too many ghost stories and legends. And the night seemed to reflect the mood of the stories I read almost obsessively. To try and calm myself, I flicked on the old car's radio and turned the old-fashioned knob back and forth, slowing down a bit as I attempted to find a station that came in clearly. Nothing doing. Weird. There was a broadcasting tower right near here. It usually came in perfectly. Clear as day. But still, nothing. The white noise and static of the blank stations was doing nothing to appease my anxiety. I gripped the steering wheel tightly as more thunder boomed from the sky. <laughs> Aggravated, I forcefully shut off the radio, gritting my teeth. Glancing down at the dashboard, I noticed I was nearly out of gas. Groaning, I searched the road for a sign for gas. As I was scanning the side of the road, I noticed from the corner of my eye, Two figures walking on the side of the road shrouded in shadow. They were walking slowly. One turned around, walking backwards, his or her thumb sticking out. I felt compelled to pull over, give him a ride, and I found my hands turning the wheel slightly, but I pulled back. Realizing how stupid it would be of me to accept two random strangers into my car in the middle of the night on a backcountry road i sped up and passed them trying not to look at them as i did so 
though it felt oddly intrigued by them. As I focused on the road ahead, it started drizzling, dropping my mood another level or two. Along with the rain, the thunder seemed louder, closer, as the storm moved in. A few seconds passed until I gave into my compulsion to look at the two figures, and I glanced in the rearview mirror. It seemed as if the two were walking faster, and the one no longer had his thumb out, but it had to be my imagination. How would I be able to tell if they were walking faster or not? It was rainy and dark. Looking back at the road, I almost missed a sign that alerted me of a gas stop up ahead. A sigh of relief passed my lips, and I slowed down, looking for any indication of the stop pushing the thought of the two figures from my head. Soon I was pulling up into the gas station slowly as the rain started to pick up. The store was closed, but luckily they had a 24-hour gas pump service. That was good for me, as if they had not, I'd have run out a few more miles down the road. I shut off my car and hesitantly shuffled out of the metal shell and glanced over my shoulder still not being able to shake off that nervous feeling that had manifested inside me earlier that night. I stood under the light of the overhang, trying to figure out how to work the pump, which seemed so overcomplicated in the dim light, and with my mind not being able to focus on this simple task. The rain picked up more, heavier and louder, against the concrete of the gas stop, as I finally was able to get to the get the pump into my car, forcing my hand to stop it shaking. I had a horrible feeling that my shaking wasn't just because of the bitterly cold night air. Suddenly, the overhang lights of the gas stop started flickering wildly, a couple going out altogether. It seemed as if the temperature dropped 20 degrees in a few seconds as I glanced around. A sinking feeling starting to blossom in my stomach. As if in slow motion, I turned around, facing back towards the road, the long, lonely road, and saw what I expected to see there. But even as much as I knew what I'd see, I still felt the drop of my stomach, the color draining from my face, and I breathed a sharp, cold breath, forcefully as it almost caught in my throat. Across the street, the two figures were standing, facing me. They started crossing the street slowly, but surely, and I fumbled with the gas pump. It had only been a few moments, but it seemed as if the pump was taking its precious time. I was shaking hard now, as thunder boomed once more, and I looked back, up. The figures were now at the entrance to the gas stop and my breath was quick and shallow. As I blindly shoved the pump back into its holder, not being able to tear my eyes away from the figures, as they drew closer I became more frantic, even though now as they walked into the flickering light of the overhang, I saw they were just two teenagers. They looked ragged and frigid and soaked from the rain. I straightened up a bit, Still terrified, but another compulsive feeling, similar to the one I experienced in the car, was bubbling, and I felt obligated to talk to these two. 
the ones I insisted to myself to just drive away, not to risk anything. They were extremely close now. At the next pump, when I slid into my car, shaking wildly and fumbled for my keys, cursing myself as I dropped them on the floor. Leaning down, I swiped them up and set back up, a cold, sickening feeling as I came face to face with one of the teens, who had his hand on my window, knocking slowly, but forcefully. I rolled down the window a bit, just a bit. No bigger than to allow maybe a small child's hand through. Before I spoke, he spoke first. The other figure standing in the background still. But I could see something of a grin on her pale face. Can you give us a ride into town? We miss the bus and don't have a ride. He spoke slow, and something about his voice made me shiver. A cold chill swept down my spine and I opened my mouth, but no sound came out. Clearing my throat, I glanced at the dashboard and at the keys in my hand. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm not going into town. I stuttered, keeping my eyes down, not at the kids. However, the teenagers knocked harsher and made me jump a little, and he insisted another time for a ride. I told him no once more and looked up, trying to seem intimidating, which seems silly, trying to seem intimidating to a child, but a horrible, chilling sight greeted me. I looked the kids right in the eyes and gasped sharply, my back hitting my seat as I went to back away. He had eyes, oh he did, but they were blacker than the night, pitch black. No discernible pupils and no white whatsoever showing pure black, deep, brooding, and surprisingly intriguing. But my fear got the better of me, and I quickly turned the key, and my engine revved to life. I thanked God, which I had never, ever done before tonight. My car had not stalled and went to pull away, and the kids banged on my window with a pale fist, screaming for a ride. I took off speedily down the road, apologizing to my father again and again. I had laughed at him, never took his warning seriously. After a few more minutes, I pulled into my driveway and right into my lawn, in my front of my porch. I didn't want to spend any more time outside than I already had and jumped from the car leaving the car door open and ran inside, slamming the door and locking it, even going as far to put the train in front of the door in case someone or something tried to get in. Sinking into the chair in front of the door, I shivered uncontrollably and started to cry, hiding my face in my hands as two dark figures stood at the end of my driveway. That was pretty well written. That was. 30 hours ago, I hopped on a late night flight from New York headed towards Los Angeles. After boarding, I saw I had an entire row to myself. Takeoff passed without incident, and soon I was stretched out for a nap across the row. I slept for a few hours. I don't know how long, but I woke up to some severe turbulence. It's possible that the light in the cabin went out for a moment, but I was too disoriented 
It, it that's too hard to say. I checked my phone to see that it was 4:03 a.m., which I figure gave me about an hour until we landed. When I looked out my window, I was shocked to see nothing but wide open ocean. My jaw dropped. There's obviously no ocean between New York and Los Angeles. I hit the button to call the flight attendant and spent the next few minutes racking my brain for a lake that could have possibly been big enough to explain what I was seeing. I jumped when the flight attendant flipped on the or flipped off the light. She was grinning from ear to ear and tears poured down her cheeks. How can I help you, sir? She asked. I, I froze for a moment at her reaction before deciding just to ask my question. Where are we? Why does it look like we're flying over an ocean? She wiped her cheeks to clear the tears and still grinning widely. Sir, we'll be landing in about an hour. Uh, okay, thank you, I said. She left and I checked the clock on my phone. It was 4.03 a.m. It hadn't changed. I had been waiting with my call light on for at least five minutes. How is it possible that it hadn't changed at all? I opened my laptop and saw it too displayed 4.03 a.m. I pulled out my phone and started the stopwatch on the app and spent the next two hours looking back and forth between the clocks, waiting for them to change. They never did. I tapped the shoulder of the older woman in the row in front of me. She looked back annoyed and with an annoyed expression across her face. Yes, she asked. Do you know how long until we land? I asked. She narrowed her eyes. That flight attendant said it would be another hour. I shook my head confused. That flight attendant, we talked almost two hours ago. We should have landed already. She stared at me if I was, as if I was crazy. I was going to continue to try to convince her. But I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I spun around to see a male flight attendant grinning down at me, tears pinging off his cheeks onto my shoulder. Sir, I'm going to ask you to calm down, or I'll be calling the captain. I told him that wouldn't be necessary and sat back. He removed his hand and stepped away. The flight attendant continued to stop every few hours, offered meals. My stopwatch continued to tick up, and it's now telling me that I've been on this plane for more than 30 hours. I've explored all of coach and tried talking to some of the other passengers, but they've all told me that they're expecting to land in an hour or so. Around three hours ago, I tried to get into first class. I made it past the curtain, but was escorted back by two grinning flight attendants. Their grip on my arm was like iron. Sir, the seatbelt sign is on, one, one said. Please remain in your seat with your buckle fastened. We'll be landing in about an hour. I'd just about given up hope when a woman came down the aisle dressed in a business suit. She didn't look at me or slow down, she, but she dropped a piece of paper onto my tray as she made her way to the bathroom at the back of the plane. I shot a look around before unrolling it. It said, Are you stuck too? I pulled out a pen and wrote, Yes, it's been 30 hours. I folded the scrap of paper up and set it on the tray closest to the aisle. She left the bathroom and picked it up as she passed. It had been 22 minutes since then. I don't know why, but I don't think the flight attendants would like if they knew we were talking. It doesn't matter. I have to do something. I'll update you all with whatever happens next. Booyah. Booyah. My last one is the night Simon followed us. A couple of years ago, I walked home from the bar with two friends, and we were loaded drunk. 
the Irish Newfoundland band brought the house down that night. This was before the pandemic, of course. At Dairy's, all you could smell was sweat and sour beer. Not an open window to be found in the place. It was the middle of July, and the air conditioning unit had all but fizzled out. Several hops to the resin-coated bar for whatever shop we were on offer, and we were all but seeing stars. Anyway, for all the fun we had that night, the three of us ended up walking home shortly after 1 a.m., trashed out of our tree. It was silent outside, no wind, just humid air, mosquitoes, and the faint sound of electricity humming from the street lamps. We were two full streets away from the bar and faintly heard the last of the rattling yellow cabs collecting the final patrons leaving. We were still having fun, the alcohol still chugging us along like trains about to be derailed across the road at any moment. Nights like this we were always a good time. I only started not having fun when I was convinced there was someone following us. Now, normally, I couldn't care less. We lived in a small town where everybody kind of knew each other, and we were quite close to home. But every time I turned around and looked behind me and conversed with Nicole and Luke, I was convinced I could see someone leaning out from behind this old house watching us, and as if their head was tilted to one side. I tried to focus my eyes on the shape, but it was no use. My perception was still whitewashed. Just when I thought I was regaining something, the person had gone. Nicole and Luke carried on walking, well, stumbling ahead of me. While, even while the two of them were laughing and talking foreign jargon to each other, Luke must have had some idea something was bothering me. He asked, Why are you so far behind us? Something got you freaked out? I answered, man, I think there's somebody following us. Nicole smiled and asked, is it a baby fox? (laughs) (laughs) No, behind the old house there. There was somebody poking their head out from the side of it, just looking at us. I said, my voice giving away a discomforting air. Luke laughed it off. (laughs) What a weirdo. (laughs) Who'd do that? They carried on their jaunt facing the road ahead. Just less than a kilometer, and we were home. I checked on them walking ahead of me, and some inner thought made me turn around again. As I turned my head around, my peripheral vision picked up a person standing in the middle of the road less than 30 feet away from us. When I focused my eyes central to the road, the person was gone again. Nicole and Luke were right. I was freaked out. So I began to began a gentle jog to catch up to them. When I had caught up to their gentle laughter, I stubbed my, sh- my shoe against the curb and fell nearly flat on my face, with my hand just saving me from injury. This made Luke bust his guts laughing. I mustered a chuckle, but couldn't get the feeling out of my head. You're so scared, man. <laughs> You're running after us now. Luke yelled at me in merry hysterics. Man, I swear there's someone following us, I said with with every bit of solemnity I could pass. I turned around to the point and showed them where I saw the person, and my heart jumped into my throat. Less than ten feet away, a dark figure of a tiny naked man stood watching us from the middle of the road. He couldn't have been more than three feet tall, but he was wiry, slender, and proportionate. His oddly dark gray skin was matted with pieces of coarse hair and his eyes locked locked onto mine. 
I forced myself up from the ground, and he started taking tiny steps closer to us, his bare feet not making any sound on the hard road. Who the hell are you? I shouted, panicked. Nicole gave me a, a look as if I was crazy. Her next reaction, I just couldn't comprehend at the time. She actually began walking towards it. Where are you? What are you? What are you doing? Get away from it, Nicole. Nicole didn't bend an eyelid and wore an expression of perplexed as mine. But what she did next made no sense. I never knew you had a fear of cats, she said gently. With that, she began to pet the man's head, running her fingers through his matted, oily hair, looking hair, and smoothing him down. All I could see was this set of intense and inhumanely oversized burning eyes staring at me with a wide smile bearing a row of unnaturally large and canine teeth. I could hear my own hyperventilating. I'm sure they could too. I was practically frozen. Wow, you really are you really do have a fear of cats, Luke asked, slurring his speech. Nicole stated, This is Simon. Simon loves us. And he follows us home sometimes. In my head, I didn't know what this thing smiling was. I wasn't seeing a fucking cat. Or anything that resembled one. His smile widened impossibly, as if it was slit from his mouth, began to open from behind his ears. That's when it produced an unnerving gutterless cry. It sounded like that of a newborn baby. Oh, Simon, you love us so much, don't you? Nicole said again, petting his head. I could see dirt and grime covering her hands. They were oily just from touching it. I pressed myself to get up and made a run and make a run for it. Maybe I could grab something to at least protect my buddies. Facing the road ahead was still a blur, but I could see another figure was approaching us. Nicole asked, Who's that? It all happened so fast. Footsteps of boots clomping on the pavement and scuffing and Sound, and a scuffing sound darted towards us. I heard something click, and then I saw a knife reflected underneath the street lamps. Give me your money. Hand it over, the guy said. I looked at Nicole, and she was terrified to see Simon rubbing his head against her shoulder, his grin tilted with a set of sharp, elongated fingers that looked like tarantula legs wrapped around her. Got You got money? Give it to me. He stated again nervously. I've, I was startled and faced this guy. He was young, drawn in the face with the desperation plastered over his reactionary expressions. I rifled through my tight jean pockets and looked back to see Luke stroking Simon's hair while he was also fetching his own cash. Luke volunteered, You can have it as long as you don't hurt Simon. The guy grasped and with a proving nod before directing at Luke. I don't give a fuck about the cat. I just want your money, he said. I felt like I had nowhere to go. My mind was gone. It was my just my own projection. I looked at this thing, Simon again. This horrendous creature was somehow playing with my mind. Right then, the guy stepped past me with his knife pointed at Luke. He held out his wallet to pass it to him. And what happened next, I can't explain. Upon reaching to take Luke's wallet, the guy's wrist was grabbed by both of Simon's hands. I looked right into the guy's eyes at this point, and the look of shock and fear I saw on his face will live with me for the rest of my days. His fear was realized 
as if he knew that exact moment this wasn't some cat, as if his eyes had just been opened. I felt this. I felt. I felt his fear at this very moment. I could then see Simon's fingers squeeze and crack every bone in, in his arm, snapping them until they were protruding through his skin. The scream you could have heard for miles. The lights of house windows immediately began turning on everywhere down the street. The poor guy fell to his knees in absolute agony, then was face to face with Simon. And that nasty, playful air... I'll never forget the, the sounds of Simon's unsettling newborn cry cries, teened with ungodly screams of pure pain. In one swift action, Simon pulled the man's arms back and ripped them off of the shoulders. The screeching, scratching noise from his throat and the sound of the blood hitting the concrete echoed. Luke, Nicole, they just stood out of the way watching nonchalantly, tuned out to what was really happening. The man was now violently convulsing on the road, and I was too scared to do anything. I watched through my distorted view and just hoped that it wouldn't be ne I wouldn't be next. Looking on for a few moments at the face, withered and sweating, breathing out the last bits of life, the shock ripped the blood from his heart and drained out through his stumps all over the road. A few more desperate de breaths, and he was dead. When I looked to Luke and Nicole again, Simon was resting his naked body across their knees on the ground, the weight appearing to have no effect on my friends. With pure joy emanating from him, Luke was just stroking Simon's hair. I heard a few more footsteps coming from somewhere, and top to that, alarmed breathing. I just couldn't process any of it right then. Oh my God, what happened? One of the neighbors asked. Simon stared at me, as if to decipher my own next move. I didn't budge. Then Nicole spoke. I don't understand you, Simon. You're usually so lovely. Booyah. That's one kind of guard kitty cat. Yeah. Guard. Troll. Whatever. <laughs> He's like, hey, come over here and check this out. Mirror. Mirror. When I read that, the first thing I thought of was the... What were the things called? Uh, the Pukwudgie. The Pukwudgie. <laughs> Mirror. Yeah. I honestly, I was picturing Harry Potter, <laughs> Hermione, and Ron. <laughs> 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 and yeah. then like a little Dobby. The <laughs> 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 master has given Dobby a sock. <laughs> Dobby's a free elf now. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll do it for this Booyah episode. I hope you enjoyed our stories. If you guys have any of your own booyahs you want to share with us, send it to us and we'll read it in a future episode. Yes. And also, if you have any ideas for the spooky season that you would like to see us talk about, cover, do another live if you're interested in that. Um,. I mean, if you've got something that you want to see for the month of October, which is coming up quick, then get to us and let us know. We we haven't started planning for October yet. Usually we are, but it's kind of been a little bit of a hectic couple of weeks. Um, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy. Um, also on our Facebook page currently, or on our Facebook group, not our page, on our Facebook group, 
I'm giving daily updates about Eli, sometimes twice daily. It just depends on what kind of updates I get. Um, so if you want to follow his progress, you can go join us over there. Um, also, don't forget to check out our website at umpnormalcy at gmail. No, that's our website, our email. Our website at umpnormalcy.com. And our email, you can always email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. And don't forget about our brothers and sisters over at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, Lexicult, Faith Blind Council, Smuts Up, Administrism, and Ad Hoc History. Um, Also, we've got a new podcast from one of our listeners. If you want to go check out Paramordia, um, Dave sent a link, put a link up on our Discord and on our Facebook page. Um, it's an awesome podcast. I've listened to the two episodes she has up. She does an awesome job. I'm very impressed with the audio. And um wish our first two episodes were nearly as good as hers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, she also says paranormal or, no, uh, phenomena in the intro of her podcast. <laughs> and, of course, I have to go, do, 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 do. Um. Check out XV Planus. Yes, XV Planus as well. Uh, we're working on a collaboration episode with them, hopefully coming up soon. Uh, what else we got going on? Uh, the, the 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 Green Mushroom Project. Check that out on um, our mush or our Mushroom Network on our podcast network. Maybe we became a sim. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> You can check that out. Um, and also don't forget to check out Parabox Monthly where you get a monthly paranormal t-shirt shipped directly to your door for $19.95 a month. And if you use the promo code promo code Paranormalcy at checkout, you get 10% off your first order. Um, and until next time. Keep digging. Booyah. Stay spooky, my friends. Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.